and welcome to you all. This is Friday, August 5th, 2022. You are tuned in to another edition of Fake News Friday here on True North. Not Canada's most irreverent talk show. That's the Andrew Lawton Show. Not the all-seeing eye on things happening on social media. That's ratioed with my friend and colleague and co-host for this foray into the fakery of some of the news media, Harrison Faulkner. Harrison, how was the week? Good, sir. Good to see you, Andrew. It was a pretty good week. I feel like I'm still kind of bringing myself back to speed after that ridiculous conservative debate on Wednesday that basically slowed me down to a halt. So I'm kind of getting back up to speed, looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, that was fake snooze Friday, I believe. <laughs> the uh, reality of that debate, and I won't rehash it because I do realize that some people might be listening while they drive, and I don't want to be responsible for any collisions on the Trans-Canada Highway if we play clips from that thing. But it was interesting how so many people said it was so necessary, and we're now two days after, and I've yet to hear anyone articulate what we gained from that debate, apart from vindication. I think the people that said they there didn't need to be a debate were vindicated, so it, it might have actually been a bit of a win for Pierre Polyev and Leslie Lewis, even if I do think they were wrong to skip out on the official debate. Yeah, I agree with you, Andrew. We made that point on the on the Wednesday show that uh, at first I was I was in that camp too. I said, you know, they should show up at this debate, do their part, make sure they give Canadians and the other candidates a chance to to hear what they have to say. Uh, but then after watching about five minutes of it, I immediately realized that they had made the right choice. So uh, we were stuck. Then <laughs> we were stuck for what was that an hour plus of uh, English, French. Uh, back and forth, boring conversation. So I'm glad it's over and uh, just looking forward to the weekend at this point. One person who checked completely out of the debate and also out of Canadian politics for a couple of weeks is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who has taken a two-week family vacation to Costa Rica, where he is going to be at a resort that he stayed at in 2019. It's a purely a holiday. If you look at his itineraries that are coming out, like uh, just look at uh, today's, for example, from the Prime Minister's office, it says it's a personal day. And there it is, Costa Rica in big, bold letters. Now, before we get into the media side of this, I, I want to just restate the reason that they're putting on that itinerary Costa Rica in bold letters is because Trudeau was busted for taking a secret vacation a while ago. I think to Tofino, and maybe, I might be wrong, maybe the previous Costa Rica vacation as well, where the press releases kept saying Ottawa, 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 and then people in the local community were taking pictures of Justin Trudeau, and he was demonstrably not in Ottawa. So now they're at least being honest about where in the world Justin Trudeau is. Two-week vacation in Costa Rica. And people reported on this because I think it is news. When the Prime Minister skips up and leaves, especially in the midst of what the government characterizes as an ongoing pandemic, that is something Canadians are interested in. Now, what you take away from that news, is it a good thing, is it a bad thing, or is it just information, is up to you. True North reported on it. And it was interesting to see how some of the legacy media types pounced on True North and other outlets criticizing people for talking about this. And uh, basically, just to give a couple of examples here, uh, there was one notable piece from uh, Max Fawcett who said, stop punishing Trudeau for having a private life. Now, this is the guy who's punished Canadians for making a private decision to not be vaccinated, but we're to just leave him alone on his own time. And what he says here 
is that it is manufactured outrage by Canada's conservative media ecosystem. And he calls out True North, but even outlets like the Canadian Press, Global News, and CBC for treating his decision to take a well-deserved break as a legitimate news story. It strikes me that whether you agree or disagree with whether he's deserved a break, that he is taking one is inherently newsworthy. Well, it's not only just that just Max Fawcett, National Observer, trying to cover for Justin Trudeau, the Globe and Mail, Robin Urbach, who I usually don't have any issues with, she also jumped to Justin Trudeau's defense for taking the vacation. And, you know, we can get into the details. We can say, yeah, isn't it hypocritical that Justin Trudeau and this what the government, as you said, considers to be an ongoing uh, pandemic and uh, and and with with inflation at this level that it is, you know, Justin Trudeau, the guy that has told several, uh, several thousands of Canadians, I don't know the exact number, but a lot of Canadians for quite a while couldn't board a plane or a train. Uh, a lot of Canadians were subject to rules that limited them from having their own private life. And here comes the legacy media to defend Justin Trudeau for his private life. But my biggest issue with this is not even that, Andrew. It's 30 degrees here in Toronto. It's way too hot for me even. So the idea of possibly going further south to Costa Rica to what, get get warmer weather? I don't, I, don't, I don't understand it. He doesn't seem to have a problem vacationing anywhere in Canada. He could have gone somewhere in Canada, but he decided to, I don't know, catch the heat. It's too hot for me here. I, I don't understand that move. Yeah, that's actually an interesting angle, Harrison. I don't know if I can ever take anyone seriously who lectures us about global warming who chose to go to the Caribbean exactly. in August. Exactly, exactly. It's just like I, if you escape the winter, okay, fair game. Everyone, everyone wants to get out of here in December. I, I think, to be honest, Trudeau wants to take vacations all the time. He, he loves it, whether it's Tofino, Costa Rica, uh, the Aga Khan's private island of Bahamas. I, I think it's probably annoyed him greatly that he hasn't had time now because there have been summits and meetings and a parliamentary schedule. So he's probably just had like a, a resort credit that he's needed to use. And finally, it's like, okay, I can get away for two weeks in August. I, I'm going to go. I don't begrudge political leaders from taking vacation. And I, I have actually differed from a lot of my colleagues on this issue because I think if Trudeau were to take a vacation 50 weeks of the year, the country would actually be quite well served by it. And I would love for him and I might actually chip in a few dollars for him to stay at the resort until 2025. Uh, maybe we can get a crowdfunding campaign going. But I think it is the double standard in the media. When you see Doug Ford, who was just eviscerated for uh, going up to a cottage on the long weekend, admittedly, well, Doug Ford was telling people not to go to the cottage. But even so, when Stephen Harper went to New York to take in a ball game with his son, uh, he was uh, chastised in the media for it. So the idea that we're being told, don't mention this at all, by the same people that jumped up and down for vacations that were far less opulent. That double standard is the issue I take here. No, exactly. And, and the idea that Justin Trudeau taking a vacation, a two-week vacation in the current climate we're in, the idea that that is not newsworthy is just obviously not true. Again, you said it's a double standard. We hear it all the time when conservative politicians make the wrong move and take the wrong time to go on vacation or even just take the right time to go on vacation. But again, you can't tell me that when the prime minister takes two weeks off, you know, because he's working so hard, right? You know, crossing the country, showing up at photo ops, shaking hands, really tough stuff. Well, you know, the idea that that's not news is just a joke. Obviously, it's newsworthy. Canadians are, can expect to have high standards for their prime minister, especially when he has such lofty standards for all of us to reach. So again, it's just, it's ridiculous to come at True North as National Observer did. And it's, uh, but then again, it shouldn't really surprise anyone that you're seeing National Observer, you're seeing some Globe and Mail defense of Trudeau's vacation. 
it's uh, again, like I always say on the, on the, on the show, it's par for the course. Nothing really new is, is changing in the media climate here. I will say I can see the appeal if you're the prime minister of a country like Canada going to just a completely other place where you're not going to be recognized. There was this photo. I almost feel mean sharing the photo, but at the same time, it's it's newsworthy in and of itself and it's already out there. When Trudeau was in Costa Rica last time, one of the locals shopped a spot him. I think it was like buying booze at the local depanur or whatever the Co- Costa Rican equivalent of a depanur is. And he looked rough. Like he, he looked like he was in a vacation mindset that uh, was just like the most depressed vacation a man could ever have. Uh, this was the picture there. Uh, but he can't walk around like that in Tofino. He can't walk around like that in Canada. So you can be your like true self in Costa Rica. We should all be so lucky. I wonder if he'll wear a mask on the plane on the way down. I highly <laughs> doubt it, but you never know. Uh, we talked a little bit in this segment about media double standards. Let's talk about just complete media ignorance of some very large stories. Uh, the vaccine mandates, the vaccine passports, there have been some glimmers of hope in coverage where reporters, especially the longer the pandemic has gone on, have doggedly advanced on this story. Uh, the questions about why are mask policies so inconsistent and why do we need these mandates in Canada and not elsewhere. But uh, Rupa Subramanya, our colleague at True North, who also writes for a, a variety of other publications, had a tremendous piece in Barry Weiss's Substack, Common Sense, which delved into federal court documents in an ongoing trial. And these were documents filed by the court uh, or fi- filed by the Canadian government in court in its defense of a lawsuit against the vaccine mandate for air travel. And what she found is that the travel ban for the unvaccinated had no basis in science. The panel that was responsible for putting it together was stalked by people that didn't have scientific backgrounds, didn't have health backgrounds. The person in charge was a bureaucrat, not a a public health expert. And really, this suggests, as Rupa finds in the documents and says in her piece, that it was all just a matter of politics and not science. So certainly something we've talked about in the past, Harrison, but The big story here on a secondary front has been that three days later, not a single journalist that I've seen in Canada has picked up the torch and moved on with this story. Well, this is what Canadians, I think, should come to expect, Andrew. Independent journalists, journalists like Rupa, journalists like uh, the ones we have here at True North and other outlets that that have actually been holding the government to account this entire time, continue to do their job. And the mainstream journalists, the legacy media journalists, who many of them are on the take from the government, consistently failed to hold the government to account. So they've, they've, this is just no different, really. This is a huge bombshell report that Rupa, Rupa wrote in Common Sense. And basically, it just it, it kind of confirms what we've all known, Andrew, which is this is all based in politics. Justin Trudeau seems to have a different definition of science than the rest of the world. And Canadians, because of that, have had to suffer. So when, when Rupa publishes this post, not only does the legacy media not do anything, sit on their hands, and basically by doing that, covering for Trudeau, we, you actually see, maybe it's not the journalists themselves, but you see people who are supportive of the prime minister attacking journalists like Rupa for making the truth and getting the truth out to Canadians. This is the biggest story uh, that we've been living under. Th- these draconian travel measures that have that have been leveled against Canadians is the most important thing that we need to be holding the government to account over. And of course, what 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 else should we expect, Andy? The legacy media is not going to do a single bit of reporting. I will say I, I, I would be put money on this, that in two weeks, two to three weeks, 
journalists in the legacy media, maybe like the National Post, might eventually come around to the story. They might eventually write the story, but of course, not give any credit to the journalists that broke the story. Where have we seen that before? And of course, just pretend as though they're breaking news that has been broken for weeks already. It's the, these repealing these mandates, repealing these measures that are not based in science is the most important issue facing Canadians right now. At least I believe that, and I'm pretty confident that most Canadians agree with me. So the idea that when journalists break this news and MSM journalists, legacy media journalists with bigger audiences and bigger platforms do nothing, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I'm a big Substack fan. I've got my own Substack, so I'll put in a, a shameless plug there. You can subscribe to that at andrewlawton.substack.com. And I'm a subscriber to Common Sense, uh, the idea of Common Sense and also the Substack Common Sense. Yeah. And the thing that I find fascinating here is that it's another one of these examples where Canadians are forced to look outside their own country to get coverage that journalists inside the country should be putting forward. Now, obviously, there are some sometimes when stories just happen to get broken outside, like the Trudeau blackface photo, uh, the initial one came from Time magazine, just because of a personal connection between the Time reporter and the person who leaked the photo. And in this case, Rupa's Canadian. She's got a relationship with Common Sense. It was a, a great platform for it. Fine. But you look at the Freedom Convoy, and, and one of the themes I've talked about in my book, and we've talked about it at True North, is that uh, by and large, Canadians were better served by outlets like Fox News and GB News and even the New York Times on a couple of occasions than they were by Canadian legacy media outlets. And for all that we see a government that likes to harp on the importance of Canadian content and Canadian media, uh, Canadian media needs to step up because a lot of these stories are only getting covered by outlets outside the country. So this, this story, it's worth just going into, for those of you that haven't read it, for those of you that haven't listened to Andrew's interview with Rupa, which was a great interview and a great explainer, it's important to just bring up some key facts because when I read this, I was blown away. These are things that I didn't even know about. This panel, this COVID recovery, uh, that's, that's the government panel that instituted all these mandates that have basically destroyed our international reputation and destroyed a lot of Canadians' lives. This group, this COVID recovery group, has no website. You can't find their name anywhere on government documents except for tiny brief mentions. So there, the, the idea that there's any transparency to go along with these insane rules that have been placed on Canadians, the, the fact that there is none is, is incredible. And the, Rupa has been able to get documents that prove that the people in this panel, uh, obviously we know have no medical experience, none of them are actual doctors, but they were scrambling and asking the government over and over, please give us some justification for why we're doing this. Please tell us how in, in, in medicine and in science we can justify this insane rule to Canadians. There was none. That's the craziest part about this. This is in any other country, in any other circumstance, if we didn't have a media a legacy media that is that is totally on the take. This would be breaking. This would be breaking news. This would dominate the news headline, the headlines for a whole week. But it, but it isn't. And Canadians are are not being served by the Globe and Mail. The Globe and Mail cannot be representative as our paper of record anymore if they can't honestly report this story. And like you said, Andrew, we we are getting better served. Oftentimes, as tough as it is to say, as a, as a, as someone in Canadian media, a lot of the reporting we get on the convoy on this situation coming from the United States has been far better than the legacy media. I would even throw in some independent sites like Daily Wire in there. They're, they're constantly on the ball with this. And again, it's just another example of, of things happening to Canadians at such a pace that we can't even really keep up. And when we finally do catch up, when we finally do connect the dots and realize there's no justification for it, it's too late 
or the legacy media just refuses to cover it. Yeah, and I would, I mean, Rupa herself pointed this out uh, the day after her story broke. She said it would be a shame if mainstream Canadian media ignored such an obviously important story. It's been a little more than 24 hours since my story broke and more than two weeks since the documents became publicly available. Looking the other way on something this important is a bad look. And of course, it's been even longer now that we are having this discussion. And I would add to that that she got the story and I, I don't know who tipped her off if anyone did or if she was just doing a data mine but as she said in my interview with her she saw the court the trial she saw the documents she asked the federal court and they emailed them to her and that was that she didn't even need to go to a courthouse which can be a gruelingly unpleasant process so there's no reason someone else couldn't pick this up because if you look at all the snippy twitter trolls they're all saying like well show me the documents show me the receipts and I look perhaps the article would have been more compelling if she included Included the documents, but it's very easy for anyone to verify this, to do it themselves. And yeah, I think the kind thing to do would be to credit the one who originally reported it. But I mean, the sense that I got from Rupa, and certainly the sense I would take, is just more people need to be talking about this because it's essential to delegitimize what are, I think, very illegitimate policies that the government is still defending. So Andrew, what I want to know is where the where the drive, where the where the kind of the the engagement from journalists has gone from the legacy media. This would be a great opportunity to to hold power to account, to hold the government to account, to break a huge story. Like Rupa said on your in, in your interview, it wasn't as though she did some incredible groundbreaking piece of investigative reporting, not to take anything away, that it was there for the taking. It was there for a journalist who had the drive to find this story and to do it, they could they could have found it. I, I don't think we're going to see any uh, any Watergate style breaking uh, breaking news stories coming from the legacy media anytime soon. But uh, again, that's that's just what we we should come to expect from the media. Now, Andrew, we got a we got an interesting story in the CBC, which is basically telling us that not only should we transition away from uh, fossil fuel burning, those, those awful, nasty cars we've been driving for so long, not only should we transition away from those to EVs, but actually our whole dependence on cars to begin with is the problem. And it turns out maybe even the left are starting to turn on EVs because they're not environmentally friendly enough. I can't even keep up with these guys. Yeah, this is a weird one. Shifting to EVs is not enough. The deeper problem is our car dependence. Now, by the way, I'm, I'm gonna just take aim here at some of the critics, because I think that some of the science in the article here is incredibly valid. When the author talks about the importance of looking at the full process of electric vehicles and the uh, pollution that comes from it and the uh, harm to the environment that mining causes when you're talking about the minerals for all of the uh, cells that are used in the batteries and cobalt mining and water contamination and and all of this not to mention shipping costs these things are mined in you know Democratic Republic of Congo and the batteries are manufactured elsewhere and in the lifespan of a battery from creation to installation in an electric car to then manufacturing of the car which involves plastics which of course, are, are petroleum-based. The environmental impact of an electric car is not any better in a, a substantial or discernible way from the from what a, a combustible engine car does. So, I think that's a valid point to make. Now, where I differ from Marx, 
uh, <laughs> take from that what you will, is that the conclusion from that is not, well, no one should drive any car. It's that, okay, we should stop trying to foist electric cars when they're not doing the thing that they say they're going to do. We are still a culture that needs to get around in rural parts of the country, especially in suburban parts of the country. Uh, the idea of abandoning cars is just not viable and I don't think ever can be. Certainly, there's not going to be a bus stop that can pick you up on County Road 1 and take you to County Road 2 and take you around to Farmer Joe's Field. Like, that's not what public transit is. So I don't buy into the fact that because electric cars aren't great, no one should use any car. No, exactly. And where do you even start with this article, right? I mean, the author's last name is Marx. He leads with that. And then, and then you know, he's trying to get us all to take public transportation or to, you know, to to kind of go together on uh, on public transport and embrace public transportation. I just found that to be quite quite hilarious. But again, like you said, any honest conversation about electric vehicles, about a, a transition to electric vehicles like we hear from some of these uh, climate zealots, any honest conversation would include, as you mentioned, Andrew, the fact that these EVs are not any better for the environment. I mean, as you know, from start to finish, the production to the driving of one, even when even when the EV battery is dead, where do those go? You know, it's not like it's it's not like it's renewable energy that uh, that we're talking about. Of course, you can power the battery, but where does it all come from? All the materials, as everybody already knows, are not renewable. So again, it's this it's this idea that uh, I, I love to see it when you have sort of leftists turning on leftists. It's 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 quite the spectacle. Um, but again, the idea that the idea that a complete transition to EVs is any better for the environment is obviously not true. And an honest conversation about that would include that part. Um, but again, as you said. It's, it's very classic CBC, I feel like. Let's just all do public transportation. Let's just all ride bikes. Let's just all, you know, take it easy on the cars. We don't need cars. Well, I don't know, Andrew, how often uh, Paris Marx has, uh, has left Toronto or left an urban center. Again, I haven't met this guy, but you can't just be calling on all of us to, uh, to take public transportation. As you said, when we have to go from County Road 1, you know, two hours away to get to work in a whole other, in a whole other city. Where's the public transportation outside of the cities. Obviously, it's not there. So it's just a ridiculous piece. It's another sort of climate target, which has never be reached. Uh, it'll always just be one of those on the horizon things that I guess we're going to pretend to try and work toward. But uh, again, when you see even the EV, even the, the idolatry of the electric vehicles, I guess is starting to shift. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. I did see, though, a concept presented of a viable alternative. Take a look. See, I mean, there you go. They might not like that the, the few trees had to come down for the wood frame, but carbon neutral entirely. So uh, that's what we're all headed for. It's Marx approved. It's Trudeau approved. It's WEF approved. Everyone should be happy. And uh, speaking of WEF, I know everyone says, oh, it's a conspiracy to talk about Klaus Schwab, but I'd be remiss to not point out that this is the exact sort of big idea that tends to come out of there, that even these things that we're told were initially our big contribution to the environment are not enough. So uh, let's end on a somewhat happier note, or at least a more amusing note. I, I This one is a little bit interesting, and I can see how this one might just fly under the radar for a lot of people who aren't pro wrestling fans. It was our uh, producer, Phil, behind the scenes who alerted us to this one. The headline sounds like a legitimate news story. Ronda Rousey suspended indefinitely after attacking ref at SummerSlam. This is a Toronto Sun article by the national entertainment editor for the Toronto Sun and for the National Sun newspaper chain. Ronda Rousey, former uh, UFC fighter. Now she is in the WWE. You may think, oh, wow, she was suspended. She attacked a ref. That's not good. 
Well, not exactly. There's a little bit of missing context here. In wrestling, when you take time off, when you go on summer holiday perhaps, a suspension is what they do that works into your character. So you get suspended because it lets them gin up a bit of drama and you take some time off. The attacking of the ref was a scripted wrestling bit. She didn't actually attack the ref. Uh, the WWE's tweet about this, that Ronda Rousey was fined and suspended. You see the photo here of her with uh, the ref in a chokehold. Uh, that is not real. That is standard wrestling posturing. But this article plays it straight, reports on it as though it is an entirely real thing without missing the fact that this is just one big giant wrestling bit. <laughs> I th This has to be one of the Fake News Friday stories of the year. I know it's only August. Am I overstating this one, Harrison? On the list for sure. It just has to with, with all the... You can throw it up there with the headline changes and uh, and some of the CBC keys and O's. This one is definitely up there, I think, Andrew. I mean, it was just kind of weird because we were tipped off to this by uh, by our producer. I saw this article yesterday, and I, I, I read the headline knowing it's wrestling, knowing that everything in a wrestling event is staged and fake. It's like when they whisper to the guy, I'm going to punch you in the face, be ready. And then he throws the hook, and uh, then it's a big, oh, it's a big, you know, big act as though he got really hurt. So obviously it's fake. They run it as though it's real news. And then when I read it, I thought to myself, well, hold on. I know it's fake, but it's in the Toronto Sun. And, you know, they're telling us that she got fined. So what is true? What is fake? That's the, they're blurring the lines with wrestling. That's the problem, Andrew. You just don't really know what you're even reading. Uh, but it's quite, I just got to say, this is a bit embarrassing for the Toronto Sun. I think they do deserve to hear it a little bit uh, from us, from maybe the audience. They've got to take a little laugh at this because obviously everything about wrestling is fake. We all know that. It's not a surprise. There's a word for, I mean, there's even a word for the fakery in wrestling, kayfabe. This article is kayfabe and the, or the whole incident was kayfabe. And when you look at the comments in the article, it's hilarious because no reader is buying into it. Like Mario says, uh, this is literally fake news. Michael says, yawn, definitely kayfabe. Why is this news? Uh, Ian writes, probably wanted a break and this was the way to script it. Kevin, why is this news? So it's like not a single person in the process of writing, editing, and publishing this story realized what every single reader has realized. So it, exactly. And it's worth just because just showing you how ridiculous this story is. I want to just read the, the sort of the lead paragraph here. And you might be expecting, if you knew that it was fake going into it, you would probably be expecting this is, you know, WWE standard procedure at some point in the article. There's no, there's no qualifier in here at all. It's just reported directly as though it's a breaking news story, directly as though Ronda Rousey's back in the MMA octagon and not in the WWE staged, uh, staged ring. So it's, it leads with Rousey 35 flipped Angler and pinned the 44-year-old after she lost the women's title match to Liv Morgan in front of a sold-out crowd at Nissan Stadium. Yeah, they're even talking about the sellout crowd. It's like a puff piece for WWE. It's ridiculous. It's probably one of those like, Toronto Sun ad articles you'll see in these uh, on these websites. It's just a... Complete joke, perfect fake news, and in my, my opinion, the absolute perfect way to, uh, to end the show this week and to throw us to the weekend. All right. Well, make sure you check out Harrison Faulkner's show, Ratioed. Make sure you check out my own show, The Andrew Lawton Show. Pick up my book, Fake News, not at all in there. It is the Freedom Convoy, the inside story of three weeks that shook the world. And we've got lots of great programs on at True North now. I absolutely love... We've got, like, more than the TV Guide did when I was growing up. We've got uh, the Rupa Subramania Show. We've got Reality Check. We've got uh, a brand-new show that is Alberta-focused, hosted by Rachel Emanuel, and lots more. So do keep tuned to TNC.com. 
about news. And if you can chip in a few bucks to support any or all of these shows, you can do that at donate.tnc.news. That does it for me. Harrison, thanks very much. We will talk to you all next Friday. Have a great weekend and God bless.